0: Thank you, Zelda. Thank you, worship team. Have you ever felt overlooked, mistreated, or even unworthy? When looking at the lives of others, there seem to be a cocktail set against a beautiful sunset, where yours is a room-temperature glass of tap water against the backdrop of dirty dishes, unmet deadlines illness, that credit card statement in your inbox that you're too scared to open, or a broken family. Our lives are a mixture of joys and sorrows. And what makes me marvel, when I look at the women in the Bible, they were women just like you and me who made many mistakes. But through their stories, we see how God worked within it. And despite of our corrupt and sinful nature, he guides us on that purpose that he has for us. We also learn valuable lessons when we read these stories. And today we're going to look at the story of a woman whose life I don't think any of us would have chosen to live if we had a choice. Her life was also a mix of joy and sorrows. And although we have often read and heard her story, we we certainly don't look at her as a hero of our faith. She was not even Jewish. But this is God's word. And none of the stories included in the Bible happen to be here by chance. In Scripture, we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, And training in righteousness, so that the servant of the God, which is us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is why we soak up these stories. And so let's look at this character today, and let's see what God's word can teach us. Her name was Hagar, and we read a story in the book of Genesis. She had no title. Her job description was slave woman. And her status would have read, single mom. Let's look at the definition of a slave. One, a person who is the legal property of another person and who is forced to obey them and work for them. Two, one that is completely subservient and under the control of a domineering influence. The fact that God chose to include the story of an Egyptian slave woman has to tell us that his intention was for us to learn something from it. And the message in the story is clear. Those people who often feel that they are the most unworthy of God's attention, they are the ones who are at the very center of God's heart and his love, and his care. And this slave woman had something that very few people have, something that some people die never experiencing. She had a real revelation of the living God. And when we look at her story, there's so much that we can take from it, and I just read down a few things. We read about oppression, submission, blame-shifting, rejection, pride, and obedience. But above it all, we get to see that the God that we serve works within all of that. So in Genesis 15, we read about the covenant that God made with Abram. When he said to him, you're going to have a son of your own with countless descendants, and then Only one chapter later, in chapter 16, we get to see that Sarai had gotten tired of waiting, and she decided to make her own plan and take matters into her own hands. Genesis 16, verse 1 to 4 reads, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. "'Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain obtain children by her.' And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress.' So we may frown upon this in today's life, but it was quite customary and normal of the day. And Sarah knew that if she created a child through a surrogate mum who legally belonged to her, then the baby born would be rightfully belonged to Sarai. And on paper, this seemed like a really good idea. And to Sarai it was an obvious solution. But then that little thing called human emotion came into play. And what started off sounding like a good plan turned into a spiritual catastrophe. Abram and Sarah created a complete mess. But God came and he worked within that. So instead of then just bearing a baby for Sarah, eh? Hagar, whom the Bible says was given to Abram as a wife, became prideful and arrogant when she discovered that she was pregnant. And instead of remaining a meek servant, she became Sarai's rival. We are women. We can just imagine the loneliness and the rejection you feel as as not being able to give your husband that baby. And those ears were so important in those days. And I can just imagine that Sarah, who was probably about 80, in her 80s, looked at this young teenage girl who can, I, I can only imagine blossomed in her pregnancy. You know how some of us wilter a bit, but some of us blossom. Imagine this young girl blossoming in, in pregnancy. And just imagine how Sarah is heartfelt. So in looking at the story, we're going to find that we're stepping into Hagar's shoes and we fully get her emotions. And then we step into Sarah's shoes and we fully get her emotion. So it really is joy and sorrow, joy and sorrow, stepping into their shoes. And here we have the pretty pregnant teenager becoming prideful. We can so easily slip into pridefulness and arrogance when we fail to see that it has absolutely nothing to do with our own ability. The Bible tells us that God promotes. He's the one who decides who should rise and who should fall. Genesis 16 verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt, May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So can we believe this woman? It was all her idea, and now she shifts the blame to her husband. That is not at all a Christian attribute true, pure Christian character accepts the responsibility of the consequences of the bad choices that we ourselves sometimes make, and we do not blame others. We all know that one person who can never accept blame, whose first response is to find someone else or something else to blame. Please, ladies, let us be those godly women who just gracefully accept that we make mistakes um, and let's accept those mistakes and apologize for them when it's needed, not shift blame. So Sarai suddenly resented Hagar. She probably dealt with emotions of hatred and and discontent when she saw her walk by and they were living in the same household. Can you imagine that? Scholars guess that Hagar was about the age of 13 years. In today's life, she could have phoned Childline. So here we have a young girl who is forced to live in a foreign land with foreign people who speak a foreign language, forced to give her young body to an elderly man. Her name, Hagar, means stranger or flight in Hebrew, and that says it all. She was afflicted, she was abused, she was homeless, and she was running for her life into the wilderness. It seemed that nobody cared, yet God was paying attention. Verse 7 and 8, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to shur the angel said to her hey girl Sarai servant where have you come from and where are you going i'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied the angel of the lord said to her return to your mistress and submit to her authority it's interesting that the question that the lord uh, that the angel of the lord asked her completely focuses on her past and her present, but totally ignores her current, hopeless, desperate situation. Even more interesting is the fact that she answers him, and her answer reflects her past only. She tells him where she came from, but she does not tell him where she's going, which tells us that she was so focused on her past that she saw no future for herself, and how often do we become so trapped in our past and we live in such bondage to our past that we fail to see the purpose and the promise that God has for us and a new future. So God told Hagar to return and to submit to Sarai. That must have been the last thing that she wanted to hear. And that must have been the very last thing that she felt like doing. But here we have an Egyptian girl who grew up with numerous Egyptian gods. And suddenly, without a doubt, she knew that she was communicating with the one living God. And without hesitation, she turned around and, in obedience, she returned to Sarai and to the abuse. Yes, she ran away, but in submission, she returned. We have so much in common with Hagar. How often is our first response to run away? She did not know to run to God, but in his grace, he ran to her. Now we know better. We know that we can run to God with all our trials and all our difficulties. And we know because his word says that he will make our burden light. And how often do we long for Egypt? It was bondage. It was not necessarily good for us. But the familiarity seems to draw us back. Because we get so focused on the current that we just want the familiar. And we get so trapped that we cannot move forward into that purpose. And our vision becomes so muddled with the current that we cannot see that future. And we long for Egypt. And then the angel goes on and he gives Hagar not only A promise regarding her son, but a detailed promise. God was in the detail. He did not just say, go back. He gives her this detailed promise. And in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God of seeing. For she said, truly, yeah, I have seen the one who looks after me. And for the first time in her life, she realized that someone saw her and somebody really cared. So Hagar, the slave girl, experienced something in that moment that her mistress never had the pleasure of enjoying. A true encounter and revelation of the living God, the master of the universe, the one who lovingly intervened on her behalf. And unlike the Jewish people who called God Yahweh, this Egyptian slave girl gives God a totally new name. She calls him El Roy, the God who sees me. God speaks to us. Do we hear his voice? Do we really listen? Are we obedient or do we make our own plans? Do we listen to the voice of our feelings the voice of our faith? Do we place the trust, our trust, in his plan for our lives? And when life makes absolutely no sense, what do we do? Do we feel hopeless or do we stand on the promises of his word and what his word says? So after Isaac was born, we can only imagine how the rivalry between these two wives, continued. And Sarah started looking at Hagar and Ishmael as a threat to her own son and to his inheritance. And in scripture now, towards verse 21, when we read of her speaking about Ishmael, she calls him Hagar's son, not Abraham's son. She completely rejects Ishmael as ever having been her son. And she then decides that Hagar and Ishmael must go. We know the rest of the story. Sarah told Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And God told Abraham to listen to Sarah. The Bible also tells us that Abraham reluctantly sent Hagar away into the wilderness with very little protection. He was a wealthy man. And I'm thinking, could he not have given her a camel? with lots of water and plenty of food. But he gave her bread and a skin of water, and he sent them off to assure death. Those who owned a body could use it and discard it in any way that they saw fit. And once again, we see Hagar alone, rejected and homeless, On her own, in the wilderness, which was a very scary place for a single woman to be, sometimes we create our own trials, but sometimes it is through no choice of our own. We are powerless underneath the people who have authority over us, and we often find that we are victims of other people's bad choices and bad decisions. Parents can make decisions that affect their children for the rest of their lives. A spouse can make a bad financial decision that affects the whole family. A boss can make a bad decision that, loses, that makes you lose your job. Children can make bad decisions which make their parents suffer for the rest of their lives. Illness, addiction, and poor lifestyle choices can force an entire family to adjust itself, to accommodate the issue. We know that and we see it. Genesis 21 verse 15 to 16. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off. About the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. She saw her son beginning to die from thirst, so she placed him in the shade of a shrub. And she walked away just far enough so that she couldn't hear him cry. And we can only imagine that in what she believed to be their final moments, she sat down and she wept. A mother crying for her child. Verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And in verse 19, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with the water and gave it to the boy to drink. We sometimes wonder where God is. But the message of the story is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, whatever your circumstances, God sees us. He hears us and he cares for us. He is the God of second chances. And he wills for us to open our eyes through our pain to see that well and the provision that he has provided for us. He truly works through every point in time, even when we feel like life is at the lowest point it can possibly be. God never intervened when Sarai gave Hagar to Abram. God did not stop the abuse When Hagar was in the wilderness and God found her, he told her to go back to the abuse. And when Sarah told Abraham to send Hagar away, God told Abraham to listen. He works in mysterious ways, our God. And he uses our circumstances and the storms in our life, often the ones we create ourselves, to redirect our paths. And all we can do is live within the trust that we have for him. Do we understand that God is sovereign in everything? Do we trust him in all of our circumstances? Psalm 139 verse 17 from 18, and I'm quoting from the Passion Translation, says, Every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you are still with me. You, Most of you know my story. I had a wilderness experience. I had that Hagar moment. I used to make my own plans, and I used to fit God into my plans. I wasn't a bad Christian. I was just not a great Christian. I was so busy being me that I did not make time for God in my life. Do not be so busy being you that there's no time for God. And then one day, suddenly, it was like a carpet ripped from underneath my feet, and suddenly I had no plans. They evaporated like mist before the sun when my husband passed away, suddenly and unexpectedly. And as she knelt in the desert, I knelt next to his body, and I knew that he was gone, and I had no plans, no plans. And you reach a place of total fear and desperation, and it's only in that place of total fear and desperation when you can fully surrender to God. And Jesus ran to me. And Jesus runs to you and he comes to you and he takes your hand and he picks you up and he walks with you one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And when you have no choice but to hand it over to God, In that total, total, 100% surrender, that's when you see him work in your life. And my middle son sat in front of the computer one night a few weeks afterwards, and he said, Mom, do you know that there's a name for people like us? And I was like, well, we're just people like other people. He said, no, we are called suicide survivors. And I thought, we're not. We're actually Jesus survivors. Because it's because of Jesus that we survived. Because it's only when you start that walk with him that he gives you the courage. He's the one who gets you to get up. He's the one that gets you to keep going and to keep moving. Hagar was a survivor. Courage is when we beat the odds despite of our fear. And we can only do that. When we hand that fear and that desperation over to Jesus, it's only then that we get that courage. 2 Corinthians 32, verse 7 to 8, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, Be strong and courageous, do not fear, because we have a greater power on our side. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight for us. So if you are a modern day Hagar you are just as close to God's promises and protection as she was and he wants to say to you I see you I hear you and I care for you and just as he said to her in Genesis 21 verse 17 he wants to say to you too do not be afraid You may be elderly, you may be at a vulnerable stage of your life, you may know that you are growing weaker and not stronger, and you may sit here and think this message is quite irrelevant to you because you feel meaningless. But this message tells us that regardless of our age, Hagar was young and Abraham was old. Regardless of your age, God is still interested in you. You are still worthy of his interest. And right now, God can still make a notable difference in his kingdom through someone like you and someone like me. And just maybe, just maybe, that is why he gave us this story, to show us his heart for the oppressed and to tell us that every single person on this planet is important to him. And to tell us and to remind us that no matter what, he is the God who sees us. So if you are living in a wilderness today, the wilderness of financial strain, God sees you. If you are living in the wilderness of depression and there's no light to chase away the darkness, God wants to say to you, I see you. If you are living with the hopelessness of barrenness or the longing for a baby, God says, I see you. If you're living in the anguish from frailty or a terminal illness, God sees you. The desperation of the mom with a handicapped child, God sees you. The mom of the prodigal child, God sees you. The pain suffered through unfaithfulness, God sees you. The tears of the abused and neglected wife. God sees you. The sorrow that's caused by a broken family. God sees you and your family. The loneliness of being rejected. God sees you. The emptiness from the loss of a spouse. God sees you. And the heartache from the loss of a spouse. God sees you. And when I wrote down these adjectives, heartache and sorrow, I was thinking and I said to God, Lord, these words are so light in weight. They describe a pain that rips us open and it leaves us raw and we need powerful words to describe those emotions. I need mightier words, heavy words that can give justice to these feelings that we go through. And I reached for my thesaurus because English is my second language. I need help sometimes. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Sonia, why are you concerned with feelings? They are from this world. Why are you worrying about worlds? Well, words are for this world. And this is temporary because all of this will pass away. Because of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, for us, there is a new Jerusalem. And God reminded me of the scripture in Revelations. It's a comfort and it's a promise for us, for you and for me Just as he gave Hagar a promise. And Revelations 21 verse 4 to 6 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Hagar got physical water. God is uh, promising us living water, the water of life. It goes on to say, all who are victorious will inherit these blessings. They're blessings for you and me. And I will be their God, and they will be my children.